0: So Luke chapter 7 from verse 36 down to verse 50, the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 7, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume as she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
1: Good morning. It is uh, a delight to be here with all of you again and uh, to hear uh, live music. Uh, It's been uh, well over a year since we've, uh, my, myself and my family, have have heard that, and uh, oh, what a blessing. Thank you all for, for leading us this morning. Uh, it's great to be here uh, with you. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it back up to Luke chapter 7. Uh, we'll examine the verses that Ben read for us uh, just a few minutes ago, and before we do that, let's take another moment and look to the Lord and pray together. Father, thank you that your love for us is bigger than a burger. It's bigger than a mouse or an elephant or a house or even the oceans cannot contain your love for us. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would remind us once again of your great love for us that love that you have demonstrated in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray for those that might be here this morning, those that are watching online, that think they've earned your love because they are so good. Lord, would you pierce us with the truth of your gospel that we can't be good enough to earn your love. Lord, for those that might be here or watching that think that there is no way that you could love someone like me. Lord, would you remind us or maybe teach us for the first time that you do? And would you help us to uh, see maybe those things in us? Maybe both of those might be true even at the same time. For Lord, our lives are complicated and oftentimes messy. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. And so we come to you and we ask that your word might come to us and penetrate deep into our souls, that we might be changed and transformed more and more into the image of your beloved son. And we offer our prayer to you in his name. Amen. Uh, A few weeks ago, a friend of mine texted me and said, Hey, would you be up for going on a, quote, longish run with me? And I began to think about that. I tried to run a a little bit just to get out of the house and to clear my head some. I don't run far. And so I told him, no, I don't think I'm going to be able to go on a longish run with you in the next it was. I think it's coming up next weekend or the week after. And and he, I can't. You know, I've really, I've not been running that much. My knee has started bothering me. I'm just, I'm getting old, I guess. And he goes, okay, no problem. And then later on in the text conversation, he used the words to describe this longish run as ultra marathon. <laughs> now I have no idea how long an ultra marathon is. I do know how, lo- how far a marathon is. It's 26 miles. And I know that the word ultra means a lot more. And so he was asking me to be a part of this a lot more longer than... Well, that's good English, isn't it? Wow, good job, America. He's asking me to go on a lot farther run than 26 miles with him. And, and, and in one sense... I was actually really flattered that he would think that, you know, I could do that. It turns out I had lunch with him last week. It turns out it's 36 miles that he's doing. Uh, Good on you. Like, there's no way. (laughs) But I was running yesterday morning and I was at at the first mile and I was going downhill with the wind at my back. And you know what thought occurred to me? (laughs) I got this. I can do this. You know, I could, I think I could. And then I turned the corner and kind of went around and saw this thing in front of me called a hill and went, there's no way. <laughs> there's just no way that that I could possibly do that. I'm not in shape. I can't do it. We come to our passage this morning. We come into contact with Two people that Jesus comes in contact with. And one of those that Jesus comes in contact with thinks he's in shape. He thinks he's got his life all together. And another person that he comes in contact with is someone who is very much out of shape, that there is no way. That when Jesus says, come, follow me, when Jesus invites us, here this morning, or those of you that are watching, there's lots of cameras. Is it this? One? Watching online, that he says, Come, follow me. We can have one of two responses, perhaps. I got this. Of course. Jesus wants me on his team because I'm pretty good, right? Or there's no way. There is no way that Jesus wants me on his team. He must have the wrong person. He must be inviting the wrong person because I'm not in shape. And what we're going to find this morning is that the person who misses Jesus is the one who thinks they've got it all together. And the one who is moved to tears is the one who knows that their life is broken and a mess. And we're going to see the scandalous beauty of the gospel of Jesus. So we're going to look at Simon, we're going to look at a sinner, and we're going to look at a Savior this morning together. First, Simon, we're introduced to him in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have Dinner with him. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders at the time of Jesus. They were the ones who not just kept all of the rules, they kept all of the rules around the rules. And here's what I mean by that. So I noticed when I was driving into Darvel, is that how you pronounce it? Darvel? I was driving into Darvel from that way. And there's a sign that says, welcome to Darville, slow down. (laughs) And then above it, there is a light that flashes at some people. I'm not saying that it was me, but it might have been me that said 20. Because the speed limit when you come into town is 20. And for good reason, there's people walking and all that. And it makes sense well, if you were a Pharisee, and we had a bunch of Pharisees here in this community, the speed limit of 20 is not good enough for them. So what they did is they said, actually, the the law says it's 20, but we don't even want you to get close to that. And so the real speed limit is 15. And what they would do is someone would be standing out there. There's There's no electronic thing. There's a out there and he's got his radar gun and he's pointed at every car coming into town and he's writing down your red plate and go, oh, I'll see them on Sunday morning and they'll shame you. Even if you're going 18, you're still going below the speed limit, but you're going faster than their law would have allowed. And yet these men in particular were seen as those who are loved by God. They were seen as the the righteous. They were wealthy. They were powerful. They had it all together. These were the men that you wanted your sons to grow up to become. These were the men that you wanted your daughters to marry. These were the ones who had it all together. And so, Simon is one of them, and he is troubled. He's troubled because someone's popularity has actually gotten a little bit bigger than his own. You see, Jesus is going all throughout Israel, and he's preaching, and he's teaching. And instead of the crowds coming to Simon and those like Simon who are following all the rules and doing all the things and believing that this is what you have to do for God to love you, for God to accept you, because that's who we are. We've kept all the rules. We've done all the things. God loves us. God accepts us. And if you want proof for that, look how big my house is. But Jesus is getting a bigger crowd. He's getting a bigger following than them. And so what do you do? When someone in in our world today, we would say that Jesus was trending at the moment. Jesus is blowing up Twitter with what he's doing. And so what do you do? In that day and age, you invite them to your house. You want to be seen with them. You want to be around them because Jesus has become popular. And so if someone, if you're popular, but someone's become more popular than you, you want to be seen with them. And so that's what Simon does. We do that with famous people. If you've ever seen somebody who's famous, or ever been—I I was on an airplane one time with uh, a semi-famous person. It might not be here. He—he he had a show on the Food Network. Um, I think there's the Food Network here. We've watched it a few times. His name's Duff Goldman, and he's the Ace of Cakes. He makes these incredible pieces of art that are edible, so much so that you like, feel really bad for cutting into them. And so I, I'm on the plane, and I have no idea where I was going, and I, he's got this really distinctive laugh. And I hear this laugh from behind me, and I go, that's Duff. And so during the flight, I'm turned around, and you know what he did the whole flight? He walked up and down the aisle and took selfies with everyone on the plane. Why? because everyone saw that the ace of cakes was on the plane and you wanted to just even get a snapshot with him. And that's what Simon is doing with Jesus. It's not because he loves Jesus. It's not because Jesus offers him salvation because he doesn't think that he does. He just wants to be seen with Jesus. And so he invites him to dinner. A dinner was the second most intimate thing you could do in the ancient world, in Jesus' time. It's the most intimate thing you could do outside of marriage, is to invite someone over to your house for dinner. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of love. And yet, what we see Simon do is disrespect Jesus at every point. Because it was customary when you arrived at the dinner party for the host to greet you and to come up and greet you with a kiss. And after that, they would take a drop of olive oil and put it on your head. And I have no idea why that, they did that. You can ask Benj later as after I get in the car, he'll have the answer. for. I have no idea. It was just the custom. That's what they did. And then they offered water to wash your feet because you traveled through the road that was dirty, dusty, covered with, use your imagination as the animals run wild and go about the streets. And so we see that Simon doesn't do any of those things. It's almost as though in your mind's eye you can see Simon over in the corner and he's got a few of his Pharisee buddies that are standing around and they're, they're watching as Jesus comes in. They're kind of pointing and going, is that the guy? Yeah, that's him. Look at him. Everybody's around him. Everybody loves him. What's going on with him? Simon has this thought as the dinner party unfolds and we'll look at this woman in a couple of minutes. He has this thought as he's watching this woman weep at Jesus' feet. We see deeper into his thought process in verse 39 of who he thinks Jesus is. And he says, if this man were a prophet, he doubts in his own mind, and his own experience tells him that a prophet could not do what this man is doing or shouldn't do what this man is doing. If this man really were, if he really was Jesus, he wouldn't be around that person. If he knew who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. Simon doubts Jesus and then he begins to see who this woman is and he begins to define her by what she has done in her life. By what choices she has made. By the sin of her life. Like That is what defines us is what we have done. Because in Simon's mind, that is what defines us. What we do or what we don't do defines who we are. And yet, that's not true when Jesus enters into the picture. Simon was self righteous standing on his own works and his own merit. And yet before we pass by Simon too quickly, let's notice a couple of things. One, you and I are probably more like Simon than we dare admit. We're probably more like Simon than we would dare to admit. Because we often run to being self-righteous. How do we do that? What are some diagnostic questions for our own self-righteous hearts? Just a few, not exhaustive lists by any stretch of the imagination. But do we view others as sinners? When we look at other people, do we say, look at what they have done? Do we define ourselves by what we have done, by what, what we've done this week, how good a week we've had? Did we open up God's word every day this week? Did we pray a certain amount of hours this week? Did our quiet times just really just, they were amazing this week. And then when we come in here or when we walk down the street or when we go to the shops, we go, you know, I, I bet my quiet time was longer than that person or that person. I bet I prayed more. I'm glad I don't struggle with the things that they struggle with. Perhaps that's true of us, do we define others by their sinful actions? Do we avoid others or look down on others? Maybe we don't say it out loud, but we think to ourselves, I'm better than them. Or what reception would we give to Jesus? What reception would we give to him? Would we stand over in the corner and say, welcome, welcome to my party. It's right. And it's good that you're here because we're kind of on the same level. I was at the the mall in the U.S. when we lived there a few years ago. And uh, the mall's a big indoor shopping area. And I'm walking through and you, you couldn't help but see them. It's not every day that you see a man that's about six feet tall wearing a full-length dress with high heels and a big purse like the famous people wear that they carry their dogs in kind of purse and this gigantic hat like women wear to the races. And he's just walking through the mall. And everybody was staring at him. And then a couple of weeks later, there he was in my service at my church. Same dress, same heels, same bag, no hat. There he was. And do you know what I thought? Oh, no. What's he doing here? I... I don't know how to. I don't know how to handle this. What do I say to him? What do I. What do I need to change in my sermon? Am I going to? What a thousand things go through my mind. And if I'm honest with you, I will tell you that I thought to myself, "He doesn't belong here." You see, this just isn't a a self righteousness. Isn't just a a problem for you out there. It's a problem for this guy here. Maybe more so than all of you. That I get the opportunity and the blessing to get up and to preach God's word and to study it and to pray and to be paid for that. How amazing is that? And yet, I think that is what makes me righteous when it doesn't. I'm just as far away at times from Jesus as Simon was because I think I'm standing on my own righteousness. The friend that brought that gentleman to our, our church that, that, that week, he called me up later in the week. I think it was Tuesday morning. He called me up and said, hey, I just want to thank you for your sermon, and for preaching the gospel. You see, I've been been witnessing to my friend. We've known each other since high school, and he's had a pretty rough life. And I've been sharing Jesus with him for the last few months, and I want you to know something. He's beginning to ask questions. He's beginning to get it. He's beginning to understand that Jesus came and died on the cross for people who struggle and whose struggles are just like his. And I said, thanks, hung up the phone and wept at my own self-righteousness that I wasn't willing to pray for him, but my friend was willing to lay down his life to share the gospel with someone that everyone stares at when they walk down the street. That's who this woman was, this woman that comes into this house. She is simply called in this passage a sinful woman who lived in that town. We don't know anything really other about her than that. Most theologians throughout the the years have assumed that she was a prostitute. And so she was probably known in town. She was the one who you told your daughters as you walked down the street, don't become like her. She was the one you grabbed your sons and moved them off to the side and you said, you see her, stay away. She's dangerous. She was looked at. She was abused. She was used. Life was rough. And life, when it was rough, it kicked her when she was down. It might seem weird that she was coming into this house where there was this dinner party. So let's take a, a moment and kind of... Think about what a a dinner party in Jesus's time was like, uh, because it actually was fairly normal for her to be there. So, what would happen? You you see, if you go back up to verse thirty six, he's at the Jesus is at the Pharisee's house, and they it's called reclined at the table. So, when you went in, it was kind of an open air courtyard that you would go into, and they were large houses because if you were rich, you threw a dinner party, which we assume that Simon is, and you would go in if you were invited, and there was a table that was just a little bit off the floor, and you would go and you would lay down on your left side, and you would put your feet behind you, and then you would eat with your right hand, and these would go on for several hours, and as the people that are invited to the banquet, to this meal, they were the the movers and shakers. They were the influencers of the day. They were the people that, that were in the know, that knew the gossip, that were setting about the, the direction of the town and, and all of these things. And so without, there there was no Twitter back then, there was no newspapers back then. So if you wanted to know the news, if you wanted to know the gossip, if you don't know what's going on, you went to the party. And you would go in if you weren't invited and you were allowed to do this, probably because, I mean, if you're self-righteous, you want as many people around you as you can. You want as many people seeing you're having this dinner party, like your opulence and your wealth as you can. And so people would just come in, And they would stand all around and just watch. And listen. Just watch. Oh, what did he he say? Oh, Oh, that was good. Yeah, write that down. And so this woman comes in. Can you imagine for a moment? There's a table with men kind of lying around it. All their feet are out. And then around all of that, there's another group of people. And this woman that probably everybody knows, that people mock and make fun of and stare at, she comes in. She kind of makes her way through the crowd, and she comes behind Jesus' feet. And as she's there behind Jesus' feet, she starts weeping. She doesn't cry. There's different words in the Greek for crying, believe it or not. This isn't just like this tear. There is a waterfall coming off of her face. So much so that she wets Jesus' feet. Remember, Jesus' feet are dirty. He's been walking. He's in the dust. He's in the stuff. And this woman's tears wet Jesus' feet. And then she takes her hair down. Something that was absolutely forbidden and scandalous in that day. Because a woman was not allowed to be outside of her home with her hair down. Only in her home, in the presence of her husband, was she allowed was it allowed for her? to do that, to take her hair down. She, in the presence of all of these people, takes her hair and she puts it on Jesus' wet, muddy, smelly, disgusting feet. And she takes the gunk that's on them and she puts it into her own hair. So she begins to smell like Jesus' nasty feet. And then she takes this jar of perfume. that was part of her trade and she took it and she poured it on Jesus' feet as she cleaned it. And Jesus says to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I'm not asking you to look at her. I'm asking you, do you see her? Jesus, he didn't just look at her, he saw her. Think of the audacity of what she is doing in that moment. Think about John the Baptist. John chapter 1. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew who Jesus was. He's the one who was prophesied about. And John knew that he was the one who had been prophesied about. And yet, what did John say about Jesus? The one who is coming after me, his shoes, I'm not even worthy to untie them. If John the Baptist wasn't worthy to do that, here is this woman who is at Jesus' feet. Cleaning them with her own tears and with her own hair. If John's not worthy, how is she? Because she has been forgiven. We don't know how, we don't know when, we don't know where, but at some point, this woman who is an outcast in society who is a sinner, everybody knows it, and she knows it, heard the message of the gospel that Jesus came into the world to die for those who were sinful and to take the punishment, the wrath of God that was due unto them, he took it. And now through faith in Jesus, We can be forgiven of all of our sin. She, at some point, understood that and embraced that and believed that. If you look at verse 50, Jesus says to this woman, Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. It's just, these verses have caused a lot of consternation throughout the centuries because it seems as though before we get to verse 50 that she was saved simply because she went and wept at Jesus' feet and because she loved Jesus much. And if verse 50 wasn't there, we could, I could see where you could get that. But verse 50 is describing what happened and the reason what beha- what happened came before that. Your faith has saved you. She had faith in Jesus. And so Jesus welcomes her into the family of the redeemed. We will see this woman in glory. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus came for the sinners. A minute ago, I I said uh, there's a couple of things I don't want us to miss about Simon. One that we're far more like Simon than we probably cared to admit. Here's the second one. Jesus came to dinner at Simon's house. Jesus entered in to the life of someone who was self-righteous Jesus comes for the self-righteous and for the sinners he comes for all of us that we realize wait a second my works my self-righteousness can never get me to God Sometimes it feels like I can, but if I'm honest with myself, I am sinful. Maybe not in the way this woman was, maybe not in the way that that gentleman who came to our our church was, maybe not in the way that the person sitting next to you or near you is, but all of us are sinners. And Jesus comes and he offers himself to all of us, whether we think we have it all together or whether we know we're just a giant mess. The gospel is for saints and for sinners alike. The, dif- the difficulty can come when we don't think we need the gospel. We don't think we need Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 says this, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. To hear what John is saying, if we claim that we're without sin, if, we, if we're self-righteous, if we're like, ooh look at her, look what she's, uh I'm not like that. We're a, we make God to be a liar. We lie to ourselves. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of some of our unrighteousness? No. All. all. every last drop of our unrighteousness, past. Present and the things that you haven't even thought about, or the things that you don't even realize that you're doing because of the deceptiveness of sin, Jesus has forgiven all of them. If we have faith in Him, if we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, Jesus, the Savior, he tells us short parable to Simon when he says, "Simon, you, do you see this woman? Do you, do you do you see her? Because you're looking at her and you're judging her, but actually, let let me point out your own heart. It's two people. They both owe money. One owes about a year and a half's worth of wages. Just." I have no idea how much a year's worth of wages might be on average here, but let's just pretend 40,000 pounds. You see, that one person, 40,000 pounds worth of wages. Another person, they actually owe about a month and a half. And my maths is going to be rubbish, so don't help me on this, because I have no idea what 40,000 divided by 18 is, but somebody can tell me later. So let's just, for the ballpark, They owe 4,000 pounds. Both of them have their debt canceled. Who do you think loved more? And Simon, in verse 43, there's almost this reluctance because Simon begins to realize, wait, Jesus is calling me out. And he says, I suppose... Can't even be sure of this. I suppose, I guess, the one who had the bigger debt. And Jesus goes, too bad the bell's not ringing that was over there a minute ago. Ding, 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 ding. You win. You're right. The one who had the bigger debt. Do you see what she did? You ignored me. You stood in the corner. You didn't greet me. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't even... um, Your house is getting disgusting because you didn't even wash my feet. Look what she did. She cannot stop weeping. And she cleaned my feet with her own self. Do you know why? Why? because she has been forgiven much. Simon, you think you've got it all together. You know why you don't love? Because you don't think you need to be forgiven. Do we love Jesus? What grows our love for him? I'm going to say something that might sound strange. We grow in our love for Jesus when we realize our own sinfulness. We grow, this sounds weird, I think it's true. We grow in our faith when we see our sin. Not that we sin more. It doesn't mean we, we, we go out and try to do all these things. You know, I'm a, The pastor said I should lie a lot more so that I can be absolutely, you know, Romans... Far be it, forget about it. No, that's not what I'm saying. You don't have to actually go out and sin, do something to see the depths of your own sinfulness. Because the things that we do come from who we are. And so as we grow in our understanding of our own sinfulness, the cross of Jesus gets bigger and bigger. That as I've matured in the faith, as I've been, thankfully, a, a follower of Jesus for most of my life now. I can tell you that I can see how much more sinful I am more now than I, than I realized when I was 20. And you know what? I can see how much bigger Jesus is for me now than when I was 20. And hopefully, in 20 more years, should the Lord bless me with those days, I will see how much greater Jesus is even then, that we might love much. That we might love Jesus much. And what does that mean? It means dying to ourselves. It means following after him. It means dying to our self-righteousness. It means dying to our sin. It means being confronted with that and saying, and taking it to God and say, God, I, I lied. I cheated. I stole. I coveted. I, uh, keep, you can keep the list going. You know, you know the list done all these things but here I am I'm going to bring them and I'm going to lay them at your feet and I ask that you would forgive them and you leave them there you don't have to take them up again because Jesus has forgiven you if you are trusting in him and so I invite you if you if you're trusting in your own self-righteousness come to Jesus if you think that jesus owes you because you've been so good you, join the club i'm right there with you we haven't been we come to jesus if you're going i don't even know why i'm here today i don't really fit i'm watching online and this is I, I, i'm watching online because i if people were in the building knew that I was watching I would be so embarrassed because of the things that I've done the things that I've said the life that I've led the offer of Jesus is for you too come all of us and find hope and forgiveness the last thing this will be very brief verse 50 your faith has saved you go in peace Go in peace. The word that Jesus uses there is not the, the word shalom. Shalom is this, well, I won't get into it for time's sake, but it's a deep inner peace. The word that Jesus uses here for peace is the word for the fact that the war is over. The war is over. And you know, what war? The war between this woman. God the war the separation between her and God the father Jesus says your sins are forgiven the war's over there's peace if you want to have peace in your life this this woman's life it probably didn't get a whole lot easier when she left she was still stared at she was still known She still had all the, what we would call all that baggage. She had a rough life. But what joy she must have had in knowing that she was at peace with God, that her sins were forgiven. Let me pray for us. Father, we long for that peace with you. Help us, we pray. Be with us. Lord, I pray for the saints and the sinners. That are here, that are watching online, I pray that you would draw all of us to your glorious feet, to your throne where we find forgiveness. Lord, may we not miss the fact of who you are and what you have done. Lord, thank you for the scandalous nature of the gospel of grace that saves people like me and like my friends that are here today. Lord, we give you our praise and we give you our thanks. Grow us in our love for you as we see the depth of our own sin and see that the gospel of Jesus covers even that. Lord, would you create in all of us a sense of love for you, of awe for you, a renewed sense of following after you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength that we might walk as you walk and that you might receive the praise and the glory that you alone deserve. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.